Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. You got to go to something like an orange or citrus fruit. Are you guys with me at all? Am I making sense at all? Okay. Jesus said, okay, um, super religious, great. Generous with your money, great. You help other people. Your life is not found in those things. So to them to get what you need, good luck with that. Person can do all those things, but eternal life isn't found in him. It's, it's found in an ongoing relationship with God in which he gets to lead and we become his followers. Jesus put it this way go ahead and do all that stuff and then come and follow me. Generally speaking, following implies leaving somewhere. Leaving somewhere also means leaving some things, and it often means leaving someone, sometimes several someones. Following Jesus will require us to face one or more of these things. In, in our hearts of, heart of hearts, each one of us has one of those anything but that things that we really don't want to let go of and we don't want to lead. And sooner or later, God lays his hand on that thing and says, would you follow me even if you had to give up that? It becomes the ultimate test for our lives spiritually. At the end of the service last week, after we talked about these things and studied in depth uh, the, the conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler, many of you indicated that over the course of just this worship service last week, between, between the music and the preaching and the prayer, that you had come to understand what your anything but that thing was. But you also indicated that you had made the decision that you were going to surrender that thing to God and let him do with it as he pleases. He might give it back to you. He might shelve it for a little while. It may go away forever. But you said, God, I'm in on this whole relationship thing with you to such an extent that even my anything but that thing belongs to you. It was an incredible week. It's the kind of thing pastors live for. I left here last week absolutely on cloud nine. But like I hope some of you do, I went home last Sunday afternoon and I reflected on the sermon from the day and I realized that there was one more thing that this passage could help us with that I just didn't really get around to talking about last week. And it's too important of a thing for us to miss, I think. So I want to go back to the same passage that we read last week and ask you if you would please to stand with me in honor of the reading of Scripture. Going to be reading from Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 18. It'll appear on the screen for you here. If you've got devices or Bibles, you can follow along there. Lord, every time that I turn my attention to the scriptures, I come expecting something. Sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. Because sometimes my heart's just spiritually dull and I'm not really tuned in. And sometimes I'm sort of reading on autopilot. And sometimes I, I don't know, half arrogantly assume, I know what this section's about. But, but today I want something. I, w- I want you to speak to me, and I, th- I think my brothers and sisters are praying this prayer with me. We want you to, to point something out that we haven't seen before. And as it registers in our minds, we're going to ask you to kind of drive it down into our hearts where that thing can, can take root and, and bear some fruit, really changing who we are and how we live. So we're submitting ourselves to you, Lord. Speak to us, we pray. Luke records it this way. One day, 
a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one's good but one, God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Well, I've kept all these from my youth, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, well, then who can be saved? He replied, what's impossible with men is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we've left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, I assure you, there's no one who's left a house, wife, or brothers, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Question for you this morning. Do you worry about your eternal destiny? Some of you have been Christians nearly all of your lives, but when you get to thinking about death or spiritual matters, can you say that you have a deep an ongoing abiding peace in your heart? Or do you sometimes wonder if you're going to make the cut? Do you sometimes wonder if you're not good enough for God, if you're not a good enough person, if you're not a good enough Christian for God to be pleased with you, and it makes you a little bit fearful when you think about death, heaven, hell, those kinds of things? In my conversations with a number of you and with many others over the course of a couple of decades now in pastoral ministry, um, I find this to be very, very common. If my personal experiences in talking with you and lots of other people are any indication, I think many people experience far more spiritual fear than they do spiritual peace. And I'm not talking about a survey somewhere out there that measures people who have nothing to do with religion. I'm talking about the people of God. I think that we are a fearful people. My one hope in in preaching this message today is that the people of God would leave here today with no fear in their hearts when we begin to think about last things and the transition to uh, the afterlife. Don't be afraid. This is a message that we hear repeated in the Bible again and again and again from the very beginning to the very end, a consistent message in the Christian scriptures. I read every single occurrence of it in the Bible this week, and it's a lot. And over 50 of those times that those words, do not be afraid, showed up in Scripture, they were a direct message from God to an individual or God to a larger group of his people. It either came directly from him or one of his appointed messengers, those prophets, let's say. They spoke this message to God's people. Don't be afraid. Jesus said it an awful lot in the New Testament as well. All these to people who are in the middle of unsettling circumstances, not to people who are sitting in, in uh, Bible lessons. He didn't teach lessons about not being afraid. He walked into the middle of people's really difficult and troublesome situations and said, hey, easy, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. It, it seems to be something that God really wants to get across to us. You remember when you were in school, right? If the teacher said it once, eh. She said it twice, pay attention. She wrote it on the board, it's gonna be on the test. Don't be afraid, message from God to his people. Over 50 times in the pages of the scripture. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Seems to be something he really wants to get across to us, but which we have a difficult time learning, remembering, or taking seriously enough that fear disappears. I've heard it preached as a command from God, um, as though experiencing fear is a sin that you have committed against God. But as I read and reread the 50-some occurrences of God or his messengers repeating those, those three little words, I've come to believe that what God's trying to say to us is this. Hey, listen closely, because I've got some really good news for you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Good news, you don't have to be afraid anymore. If you're a person who experiences a lot of fear and anxiety, and I think it can be really hard to tell the difference between fear and anxiety, maybe because there's no difference between fear and anxiety. I hope that you can hear at least once today the voice of God's Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, hey, I got some good news for you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Specifically, as it applies to this matter of our eternal destiny, I hope that the people of God who have wrestled with that either intermittently or pretty consistently throughout their lives can hear God say at some point today, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Easy, at ease. Do you have some fear in your heart when you think about your eternal future? The rich ruler did. That's why he sought out Jesus. There was an unanswered question in his mind and in his heart that bothered him. That's why he sought out Jesus. You ever been in one of those situations where one person asked the question that everybody in the room was wanting to know the answer to? That's what was going on in this story. Most everyone worries about this. Everyone in the story that we read today was worrying about it. Jesus was in a public setting. He was surrounded by his disciples. There, there were at least 12 of them, sometimes his group of disciples. This, this word for the, the close followers of Jesus had swelled to as many as 70. Sometimes we read about 120 disciples, and then we read about these masses that followed him everywhere. Somewhere in between all of those numbers, there was this group of people that had surrounded Jesus, and the rich ruler walks up to him and says, hey, I got a question for you, pal. And everybody in the room said, oh, I'm glad he answered that. He asked that question because I've been wondering too. I'm not going to attempt to re-preach last week's lesson, but suffice it to say that Jesus made it clear that being super religious, being a big financial giver, and being a, a person who does a lot of good deeds will not earn you eternal life. Instead, Jesus told the rich young ruler that, if, that he was going to have to surrender himself, himself, lock, stock, and barrel to God, even the thing, maybe especially the thing that was most important to him. Coming to that point of surrender to Jesus' leadership, it, it always happens as a spiritual crisis in our lives that we experience usually with fears and tears. Fears because we don't know whether we can trust God with our most important thing. Fears because we don't know what he's going to do with it if we surrender it to him. Take it away forever? Keep it from us for too long? Tears because when we do get to the point where we say, okay, you can have everything, a sacrifice still feels like a sacrifice. It feels like you lose something. And whenever we lose something, the very real reaction is always grief. Grief is the response to loss. 
Friends, I, I can't stress strongly enough how important it is that you be honest with yourselves and with God about the real condition of your hearts this morning. God never expects us to to put a brave face on anything when we're talking to him. He wants us to be real. He much prefers an honest face. So if you're struggling with letting go of some area of your life and surrendering it to God, admit it to him. Tell him that you're struggling. He knows it anyway. Tell him that you're trying to trust him, but you just don't know if you can yet. Tell him you're trying, but you're not making very good progress on it. Tell him if, if half of your heart wants to trust him and half of, him, half of it doesn't. God listens and he honors honesty and he can work with it. Laying your soul bare before him is where this whole process really begins. But some of us, maybe, maybe a lot of us, have already ventured into this level of relationship with God. Long ago, and, and, and maybe several times already in life, you've sensed God pointing out that you haven't fully trusted him with some new area of your life. And when you've become aware of it, you've done some real soul searching, and, and then you've surrendered one more area and one more thing to God. If you recognize that, that you've gone through this a time or, or 12 I want to ask you this morning, would you raise your hand as a way of encouraging some of our people who are first-timers struggling with letting go? Get them up there. Get them up there, and everybody look around. Yeah. See, these are the hands of people who say, I survived the surrender. I survived the surrender, and I've learned that God is good enough to be trusted with your life's most important things. Okay, hands down. Now let me ask, and I'm not looking for any hands in the air on this one. Having been through, through this process uh, a few times, Are there still some occasions when your heart grows uneasy when you think about the end of your life, of eternity, heaven, or hell? Being as honest as you know how with yourself and with God, is there any fear at all for you in this area of your life? Listen to me now. Uh, God is not insulted by that. God is not offended by that. He understands our weaknesses, so we can admit even this to him and to ourselves. And there was this kind of fear present in the life of the rich young ruler. That's why he approached Jesus. Jesus, however, wanted to clear up this matter for him. So he taught him the path of true discipleship right on the spot. Surrender your life, including your anything but that thing, to God, and then follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You don't have to imagine what would Jesus do. Read the book, find out what did Jesus do, and do that. It's a pretty simple recipe there. Followers follow where leaders lead, and in relationship with Jesus, we follow where he leads. And because the rich young ruler wasn't willing to do the first part of that, the surrender part, then he wasn't capable of doing the second part, the following. So he went away sad. He wasn't the only person on the scene that day, I'm sure, who had this this very same fearful apprehension in his heart. Peter did too, as did the other disciples, as did did everyone else on the scene, I think. But, But look at the difference between the ruler and Peter. The ruler was unwilling, so he experienced sadness. But Peter... For for Peter, there was this this light that suddenly came on, and as soon as it did, his fear started to melt away. Encouraged by that, he said, Jesus, guess what I just realized? I realize that we disciples have done exactly what you just described. We're walking this discipleship path that you explained. That means that eternal life is already ours, right? 
And Jesus said yes. Do you you feel the power of that? The light came on for Peter where he said, that's what we've done. Two plus two equals four. We, we, We surrendered our anything but that thing, and we've been following that means eternal life, right? Jesus assured him that he was, he was exactly right. And then he tacked on to the end of that, that those who walk the path of becoming Jesus' true disciples can actually count on safety, safe passage to the other side, eternal life. And that we can count on God taking care of us in the here and now. It's a promise for our eternal future and a promise for the now. Making our lives perfectly easy and pain-free? Is that what he's promising here? Sorry, wish I could say that and believe it, but I don't. And I don't think the scriptures teach that. Jesus didn't say that, but he did describe a pretty wonderful care package of relationships and provision that the Father promises to give to his true followers. He said, you give up family, relationships, you leave, you leave home, you He said, you'll get plenty of that in this life and much more in the life to come. Imagine that you're Peter. You left the family business. You left the family. It's been a rough couple of years. Can you imagine what a a relief it was for Peter to learn that? Can you imagine how elated the rest of the guys were when they realized that their lives matched Jesus' description? Can you imagine what a load off it it had to be to to never again have to worry about your eternal destiny? The good news is that you can experience the very same thing today. You really can. A few minutes ago, I asked for a show of hands from people who have at some point in their lives become aware of, of God pointing out some area of life, something in life that you hadn't yet surrendered, and you said, all right, God, it's yours. I couldn't count all the hands. It was probably three-fourths of the people in this room. Here's what I want you to get today. That confession that you just made, if it's true at all, is evidence that you have obtained eternal life. Not that you will one day, but that you already have. If it was true at all, it's evidence that you don't need to fear your eternal destiny. Friends, listen to me this morning. The disciples of Jesus, both ancient and modern, do not need to fear or worry about our eternal destiny. It's God's desire as your father. It's my desire, the desire of my heart as your pastor that you are never again afraid when you think about spiritual matters and especially when you think about life after death. I've been praying for you this week about this very thing and in the hope that this liberating truth will enter through your minds and and settle down deep into your hearts. I want you to do a little exercise with me. Take a look at the screens. Here's the passage, we read it earlier. So he said to them, I assure you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, or brothers, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time in eternal life in the age to come. I know some of you are saying, but I didn't leave home. Elsie Valley's where I was born and bred. I'm sitting next to three generations of my family. Am I in trouble here? In this passage, Jesus mentioned some specific things that his first followers had to leave in order to do the physical action of 
following him. Because following meant actual following. Like when Jesus walked, they walked. Didn't let him get out of line of sight, right? Followed. Since our following of Jesus can't really be a a three-year camping trip, kind of like theirs was, around the nation of Israel where we don't live, our leaving is not going to look exactly the same as it did for the guys back then. But every one of us who is willing to follow Jesus has had to leave some things behind in order to truly become his disciples, haven't we? Have you had to leave behind some sins? Mm -hmm. Have you had some relationships that just kind of... Because... You're following him, and they're not, and so you're going two different ways in life. You had to leave behind some habits because they were destroying the, the, the temple of God's Holy Spirit, your body. What did you leave in order to become a follower of Jesus? Whatever that thing is, it doesn't have to be as expensive as a home or as significant as your relationship with your parents or a sibling. Leaving is leaving. It starts in the same place in the heart. It starts in the place of surrender. So in, in, in prayerful contemplation, fill in the blank in this sentence. Since choosing Jesus, I have left blank behind me. And I still choose Jesus today. Since choosing Jesus, I have left blank behind me. I still choose Jesus today. Now I want you to close your eyes and feel that. Let let the Holy Spirit push that thing from, from knowledge in your head down into the conviction of your heart. You recognize the truth, now experience it. Now open your eyes and Say it aloud with me. You fill in the, in the blank with something specific that you left so that you can follow. Since choosing Jesus, I have left my extended family behind. Will you read it aloud with me? You put your thing in there. Since choosing Jesus, I have left my family behind. I still choose Jesus today. It's simple. It's formulaic. It probably didn't make you feel like doing back handsprings, but it is the truth, my friends. This is where our belief in the authority and the truthfulness and the dependability of Scripture really matters to us. Because Luke wrote this book so that his readers, who had decided to believe some things about Jesus, could become certain about those things. Remember when we, when we read the very beginning of Luke's gospel? He said, I'm writing this to my friend Theophilus. I'm writing it so that you can be certain of the things that until now you've only kind of sort of believed in. Luke wrote this book so that those of us who decided to believe some things about Jesus can become certain about them, and that includes this idea that we can have eternal life and be certain of it now, certain enough that the fear begins to melt away. This book was written for you so that today you could become convinced of your salvation, not just kind of sort of believe in it and hope for the future. You've believed. That's good. But God wants you to have the experience of certainty, of assurance, so that you can be free from fear of death. And once you get free from the fear of death, you can really live. When you are not afraid anymore, you will live quite differently. And that's why Jesus said, I assure you 
There is no one who has left valuable things behind to become a part of my kingdom who will not receive many more times that in this life and in the ages to come, eternal life. It's written in the word of God. His Holy Spirit wants to write it on our hearts today, permanently inscribed there so that we'll never forget it never have to be afraid. You know what it's like when you're um, stumbling around in the, in the dark, feeling, I mean, you've, you've been through your house eight million times, right? But you walk down the hall like this in the middle of the night, right? Because you're just, you're feeling for the whatever and making sure the kids didn't leave Legos in the carpet, right? So you're, you're kind of doing the Frankenstein as you're... And then all it takes is my wife at the end of the hall going, hey, dummy, and turning on the lights. And, oh, yeah, now it's safe passage, and I'm back to, back to Cliff's mission walk down, down the hall, right? You remember when you were a little kid and you were afraid of the dark? Monsters. There's monsters there. You know it. In your bedroom, under your bed, in the toy box, in the closet, until mama heard you crying and came in and turned on the light. As soon as the light came on, ah, all the fear melts away. The, the light switch is this. He said to them, I assure you, there's no one who's left a house, wife, brothers, parents, children because of the kingdom of God. There's no one who has done those things who, who will not receive many more times that in this life an eternal life in the ages to come. Monsters are gone. Lights are on. That was the switch. Here's another switch. It's Holy Communion. If you're visiting with us today and you're not real familiar with church stuff, let me explain to you what we've got here. They're the tiniest portions. I think it's ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of church history, um, but man, when the church makes dumb mistakes, we should correct it. This is one where <laughs> we still haven't gotten it right. A piece of bread the size of um, chiclets gum, right? Satisfies that deep hunger. And, um, and just enough of this to give you bad breath till you get out of church, right? That's, that's how much you got here. But there are these tiny little emblems of this great big idea that I think is powerful and rich and, deep and deeply satisfying. And it can work like a light switch for you. The intention was, Jesus is he's sitting at this meal with his disciples. There was a ceremonial meal like this one. They, were, they knew how it was supposed to go, what you're supposed to eat first, what you're supposed to eat second, and, and do it all politely. And Jesus said, how about we breathe some life into this thing for you? And he, he told them that, he was going to offer himself as a sacrifice for all of human sin. And that because he shed his blood, it was sacrifice enough for God to then justly forgive every human sin that had ever been committed. And he said, you guys should do this. And when you do, remember me. Whenever you do this, don't just be religious. Remember me. Remember me? I'm the guy who said, I assure you, there is not a single person who's left anything valuable to take steps into my kingdom, steps following me, who won't receive much more in this life and eternal life in the ages to come. 
Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you want that eternal life and you want the assurance of it, you can, you can have some of this today. Communion teams come in. They're going to... They're, they're going to serve you. In, uh, in, our faith, in some faith traditions, you can't, you can't participate in this if you haven't been baptized in the church. We throw the door open, okay? We believe that uh, this meal is for people who've had faith for 100 years, and this is for people who are saying, today, I believe. I'm reaching God's direction. I want, I, I'm reaching for that light switch that's going to take the truth that I heard today and, and minister it deeply into my heart. I would ask that um, only this, that if you really don't believe what we're doing here today, just respectfully pass the elements to the next person because we consider these things sacred and holy. And um, while the communion team is serving you, let's consider these words to this song.
rescue of the human race, yeah, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone where you did. Jesus, one incredible sacrifice that you made. I'd like to think that I'm a good guy, but I, I probably wouldn't give myself over to torture and execution the way that you did. We give you thanks. Father, if we're your plan to save us from our sin-ruined lives. We give you thanks. Jesus, that you gave yourself so willingly to that plan on our behalf. We give you thanks. Holy Spirit, you're the one who turns on the lights for us and takes these ancient stories and, and helps us to see them as real and true. You're the one who shines the light on the path in front of us so we know the next step to take. Instead of wandering around in the dark, we can, we can actually follow Jesus. But Holy Spirit, you're also the one who is supposed to dispel fear. And I want to ask that for each person who took one little step of faith, your direction today, that you would do your part and you would put down the rebellion of fear that happens in a human spirit that doubts just a little bit. Place of doubt, I pray that you'd grow some faith in some people today. Your word tells us that faith is a gift from you, and I'm asking you to give the gift of faith to those who've reached your direction today. We'll praise you as we go. 